welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special, very special guest, Chris. La Lomia is a successful entrepreneur and change leader that has built on his experience working with the largest companies in America to start his own business from scratch. He brings his unique style of leadership to build and culture to build a culture of professionalism in the blue collar world of home renovations. Very interesting. He left the corporate zoo and ventured into the entrepreneurial wild and started the Trusted Toolbox Home Repair and Projects in 2008. Yes. He started his business right before the Great Recession, so timing the market is not his strength. He survived, though, that time and has grown his business into a multi-million dollar handyman and remodeling company, which has won numerous awards in Atlanta, Georgia. Chris, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah. Before we started uh, recording, I was uh, telling you briefly that our businesses are similar. So I have a construction company. And an architecture firm. So, you know, we do handyman stuff too and repairs and all that good stuff. But we also started in the Great Recession. So I feel you with that timing of everything. But honestly, that was, to my opinion, one of the best times to start a business. Because if you could survive that downturn, I feel like you can survive anything. So I want to know more about that. Um, but before we get into what you do now, tell us a little bit more about how you got here. You know, are you from an ant family of entrepreneurs? Are you the first? What drives that spirit? That's a great question. Am I, uh, my grandparents, both my, my grandfather and my grandmother, uh, Italian firstborn here, uh, Sicilians actually, firstborn here in the U.S., were both entrepreneurs. Uh, my father did not do that, didn't follow the family business. Uh, they both had separate businesses, but, but he went off and became a, a civil engineer and eventually was in the corporate America world. And um, I'd always wanted to have my own business uh, from the time I was 17, but I did what everybody does. I went off to college. I uh, got my, then I got my master's degree in mechanical engineering. And then I got intoxicated with the wild world of getting a paycheck every two weeks, mm. having my healthcare taken care of, putting away for 401k. And I was having good success, uh, getting promoted quite a bit. And then eventually uh, having that job that everybody covets, you know, corner office, 400 people working for mm -hmm. you, making an obscene amount of money. And then I realized I hated what I was doing mm. and wasn't doing what my grandparents did. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that you come from a, a family of entrepreneurs and they, they sort of set that maybe stone into you and everything. Now tell us maybe about what it was like starting a business like this right before the Great Recession. You know, how did you keep it alive? Like, what were your strategies during a time like that to really hope? I mean, obviously you're flourishing now, but like starting at that rock bottom era, I'm always curious. I mean, that's where we've done it. You did it. Tell us about it. Yeah, I think you, you actually hit on it. I, I, there are a lot of studies out there that say you should start at a downturn like this because it forces you to be lean, mean, and also out there doing what I think all entrepreneurs need to do. Number one, we need we need to be able to solve problems. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I learned about myself is that I was pretty optimistic. So you said strategy. My strategy at that point was um, I felt like my plan was recession resistant, being a handyman first and then flourishing into, or you said flourishing, I would say moving into remodeling. Mm -hmm. um, but what I didn't anticipate was just how far down that price level was going to go where they would say, okay, you're a handyman, come help me with my house. Cause it got pretty dark there yeah. for a while. I did grow. I grew to four 
uh, five people in those uh, between eight and nine, uh, got up to six people in 10. And then we started to see that all those seeds that I had sown for the first three years were starting to really start to take off. But it, it was hard. And um, I was proud of myself from the fact that I was well capitalized. And that's one thing I would tell everybody is that, you know, we all hear about those stories where I, you know, I used my credit card to shoestring this thing and now I'm a multimillionaire. And uh, that's not the case for a lot of us. You got to add that. If I didn't have enough money, I would not have made it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Cash flow is very important. Um, preparing, you know, paying yourself like non exorbitant salary every day when you start out, super important. Lean and mean. Those are terms we use all the time for that. And we also talk about because we started in the recession, like you. The, the, that downturn and then looking for the next one. You know, I don't know if you're a believer in business cycles. A lot of them are just, you could put, if I put my tinfoil hat on, maybe the Fed's causing them on purpose. Um, so tell us about uh, like, what do you, what do you think about the next downturn? Are we there? Are we in it? And then how, how are you going to prepare for it? Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, one of the things that happened to me is I was, I was uh, good fortune to work in banking. And so one of the things that happened is I was the fix-it guy, but I was getting schooled on all things credit, banking, how the Fed worked. I, you know, my team did all the credit mm -hmm. reporting. So uh, we have a definition for a recession. And by definition, we were in the recession and we are in a recession. Mm -hmm. However, it's different than it's had in the past because um, inflation is high, but employment is also uh, very high. So there's very little unemployment. Mm -hmm. Um I do think we have a cycle. I think we're in one uh, that's going to be more of a downturn. And one of the things I did last year is I am betting on a little bit of a recession. I'm here in the Atlanta market where I think we'll be relatively insulated, but I don't think we'll be fully insulated. And so what I did was I actually uh, in, increased my spend in marketing to grab more market share. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I hope everybody listening is uh, hearing me and Alex is, is my co-host and business partner. Chris, our voices echo and then yours as well of like marketing is the last place you should start cutting funds. I mean, you need to keep the cash flow going. You need to keep the business coming in. What do you think the biggest lesson you've learned over the past decade building your brand is, Chris? Well, biggest lesson I've learned probably is uh, it, it's people management. You know, I always felt like I was a good leader, um, but it takes people to scale businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've always wanted to scale, you know, as Warren Buffett says, better, bigger, isn't better, better is better. Mm -hmm. uh, and my people management have really had to pivot. And I have managed all levels of people, people making 150 to $200,000 a year down to uh, helpers now in construction, you know, who are making $12 an hour when I first started now making $18 an hour. Uh, and so in managing people, you've got to figure out how to maximize those people to help them get to their best people, their best person. Did you, was that all, was it self-learning? Did you go to any seminars, classes, books that you could recommend? I mean, you're totally right. People management, especially with service-based businesses, it is everything. So I, I did, I was a big uh, proponent of, of course, Stephen Covey and then Peter Drucker in my corporate world. Um, the E-Myth book by Gerber is uh, probably, uh, that's required reading for everybody who wants to do something in the home services space. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it came to managing of people, I found that my peer group forum that I'm in has probably been my best uh, sounding board and helping made the best decisions the last three years. And you know, I, I'm right now I'm I'm hiring for another salesperson in my company, and I I fully admitted it to a recruiter is that I stink at it. I was not good. You know, when I look at my track record of hiring these guys, I was not good at it. 
but now I feel like I got a good training system. I got a good way to get them involved. I just need somebody to bring me the right caliber of talent and help me interview them for success. Beautiful. Uh, we, a lot of, you know, the audience of this podcast, some are just entrepreneur, some are entrepreneurs, but small business owners, but some people are definitely just only thinking about making that leap to small business ownership. Tell us about what you, th- you know, any kind of words of wisdom or advice you could give about when they're finally ready to, what is it, you know, making that leap to small business ownership, some tips, some ideas, um, some of you, some fundamental things that they should be looking for. All right. Number one, I think you need to write a business plan. I'm not talking about an A paper that you can get passed by uh, because of weight in a back in school when we had to write term papers. I'm talking about writing a business plan. What is your unique proposition to the marketplace? What is your marketplace? How do you market to them? How do you convert them? How do you service them? How do you then do all the other things around HR, accounting? Build that business plan and then bounce it off of other people in that industry already. One thing I didn't realize is that mm. a lot of us are pretty open. If, if you're a handyman or remodeler and you're trying to start a business, I, I just literally had somebody call me two weeks ago and I said, yeah, man, I'll tell you anything you want to know. Come on. <laughs> what do you, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And so the more the merrier, there's plenty to go around. So one, have that business plan Two, make sure that in your business plan, you put together a pro forma and ask yourself this question. Cause I didn't do this. If can you, after you build your business plan, if you cut your revenue in half and doubled your expenses, would you still do this business? Interesting. Because had I done that, I would have said, oh, hell no. <laughs> but guess what happened? <laughs> That's about what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It cost me about double what I was thinking that was going to take to serve, and I was not charging enough in the beginning. Yeah. If people are wondering where, do you have any recommendations of where they could go to find those you know, templates or just examples of that? Uh, maybe the, is it maybe the ebook? So uh, great, great thing is, so obviously I wrote a book called From the Zoo to the Wild uh, about my journey and how I, how I did a lot of these things I'm talking about. Uh, but if you just go to uh, sba.gov and go to score uh, and find a very simple business plan, start there. It doesn't need to be a monster investment, a big piece of software. Start there because for me, what I found is that as I was working in my own and making uh, a salary, I was working on the side, working on the business plan. It was allowed me to come back and pick up where I was in the chapters and then pick on them and then find other people who are smarter than me to work on individual sections with me. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for that resource. Um, tell us about the three secrets of uh, customers when working in their home. I, I would love to learn these secrets myself as somebody who employs people who works in other people's homes. All right. So uh, something I've learned over the uh, years is that, number one, in our society today, we're all about instant gratification. Mm-hmm. You want food at the house, you'll call Uber Eats, you'll you'll put it online, you won't talk to a person, you'll put your order in, you'll sit there and you'll wait. I need to have it now. So when you walk into a customer's house, they think your job is already done because they've agreed to pay you a sum of money to do something that they probably could have done on their own, but really in reality can't because they either don't have the skills, the time, or the tools. Number two is people buy from people. They don't buy from companies and they get, you have to be likable just because you go in there and do a job and you're, you're giving that service to them. And you may be the biggest uh, curmudgeon in the world, but you're just an exquisite cabinet maker. If you don't smile and make a compliment to them, they don't like you as much and they're not going to accept your final product. So smile, be likable, even if they don't like themselves. So be likable. And the last thing is, if you don't tell them how much it's going to be, they will automatically think it's going to be half as much as you're going to charge. 
Yeah. And if you take something off the bill, they'll automatically double the discount. Yeah. Oh, just don't do that. You know what? That's got to be at least $200 off. You're like, well, I'm only charging you $100. So how can I take $200 off? Yeah. 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 Be upfront for sure. It's, uh, I think that's a thing for me. It's been a thing that's come up as I've got, we've gotten seasoned, you know, maybe, maybe year five or seven. We've been in business for about 13 where you, you get this confidence, hopefully after a while of just being comfortable saying flat out what things will cost. It is what it is. It's like, we can't change the market um, in a lot of regards. Right. And I'm sure you experienced a lot of that when it came to like materials, just getting screwed up with all of the supply chain nonsense. Oh yeah. Just got done looking at my profitability report and sure enough, we're still missing out on materials. Uh, yeah. So I missed that. And as I was just telling uh, my customer service reps earlier is that, you know, the last time I won a job without giving somebody a price was uh, never. You have to <laughs> give them a number. Yeah. You've got to give them something to expect. And you're worried about giving them that number because you don't want them to not like you. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is you have to give them that number if they're ever going to like you, because if they like you, they'll do business with you. Yeah. And that's the one thing as a sales guy, you got to be comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um Tell, so, you know, you kind of already sort of alluded to this as it, as it were earlier in the conversation about um, managing managing your service professionals and managing people. Um, tell us about the process that you guys take and maybe that you've developed training home service technicians. So one thing I do is I call these guys, they're all my lone wolves, and I invite them into our wolf pack and let them know that as a lone wolf, you're able to forage for your own food, provide your own shelter, and provide for your own family. But if you come into our wolf pack, we're going to make it easy for you, easier for you to find your own food, keep your shelter, and have an easier transaction during the day. And one of the things I found with these guys is that when we get together and we do training every other Wednesday for an hour, that when we get together, if I give them too much process, mm -hmm. if I give them too much of, hey, it's my way, or you guys aren't doing it the wrong, then they become domesticated dogs. And they don't go out there and solve the problems for the customer. And those problems now become my problems. So I've got to be able to give them the framework to work within in the wolf pack. So they go out there because it also feeds their self-worth and it also helps feed their families and they can hit their own personal and professional goals. But if they're doing it with my t-shirt on and then my Mark truck and they're doing it a little bit differently than maybe they would have done it on their own, but they're still doing it their way, then they feel a lot more pride and self-satisfaction. Yeah, autonomy is, is everything at a certain point for sure. And I mean, how are you ever going to grow people from maybe just being a entry-level technician up to maybe, you know, upper management where they can then delegate to other technicians, right? And make that happen. What was your, what sort of guided you on that path? I mean, were there other books or resources that you looked for to try to help facilitate that? Well, you know, uh, the Wolfpack mentality uh, was not, uh, that's just something I uh, worked on over time. I, um, I knew training was important. Again, bigger isn't better. Better is better. And I, I, was, I was trying to get as big as I could, as fast as I could. And I knew that training was important, but the training was always falling back on me to do as the owner when I had mm -hmm. six and seven guys. And when I were really committed to it is when I turned it over to my, an operations manager who started to run the guys while I was out doing the selling, I turned the training over to him and things started to change. I went from average tenure in my company of six or seven months to now I've got guys who've been with me eight or nine years, but our average tenure today is two years. Our Google score was 4.1, which isn't too swift. Today it's 4.7. And when I look at uh, with that tenure and what's going on, the other thing I've seen is that 
my guys are actually out there getting not only better reviews, but more additional work because they're doing things my way. And I started to realize when I thought of these guys as artists, you know, these guys truly are skilled artists, but I, I treated them like lone wolves and didn't put too much down on them. Keep coming. Every time you get into training, you can't go, man, you guys are doing it the wrong way, or that was horrible. You can't do it like that. You've got to give them proactive training so that they don't do that. And then they come out going, oh, you're right, man. This lady just gave me a $200 tip, which I just heard uh, two months ago you know, during the Christmas season. I got a $200 tip on a what was a $1,000 job. And he even asked me, hey, uh, do I have to give you that? I'm like, heck no. That's yours, brother. Go get yeah. it. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Uh, tell us about the sold framework that you have set up, SOLD. Yeah. So when I when I was in business for myself, one of the things that somebody told me is you do it as long as you can until it hurts too much. Uh, then you start to outsource it. But what I found myself doing is I wasn't really looking at what I was good at and and trying to take my strengths and capitalize on my strengths. I was trying to still do that corporate America thing of continually working on my weaknesses. And then there are things I like to do and things I dislike to do. So you have strengths, and you have opportunities, you have things you like to do and things you don't like to do. And if you can start to put those things in buckets and put them in quadrants and figure out, you'll, you'll see pretty quickly that I thought I was pretty good at QuickBooks and accounting because I had come from banking and I had run a $20 million budget. Mm -hmm. uh, but I found I, I was really bad at it. So not only did I not like doing it, but I was really bad at it. So I disliked it and it was an opportunity. It was in that low quadrant. Boom, I outsourced that sucker. I'm done. I, I got a bookkeeper now, reconcile. I'm really good at analyzing the results but I'm not good at putting all the information in there. So yeah. that's a good example. I'm really good at selling. Uh, so I knew that was a strength. So, I, and I like doing it. That's in the high quadrant. So I focused on that. I didn't like getting into the details anymore as running a business. That's operations. That's looking at profitability reports and putting them together. Boom, I outsourced that. We automated that. It's a lot quicker now. So using your sold framework, what are you good at? Capitalize on it. What do you like doing? Do that. Don't just work on your weaknesses and your opportunities because you're going to find you're going to spend way too much time in low value added activity for yourself and your company. Beautiful. Say so I've got two, two, two last questions for you, Chris. And I ask everybody this question, these questions when they come on the show, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you first started your business, what is one piece of advice you give your former self? Yeah, my former self, I would have asked um, a lot more people in the industry how to do things. Um, I was afraid they wouldn't tell me because I thought they would hold it close to their vest like we do in corporate America. Yeah. You know, I have information. My intellectual property is mine. I can't share it. I found now that people are so willing to share it. Go out and find somebody, man, because I'd be happy to tell you all the mistakes I made because I made a lot of them. And if I would have just talked to a few more people in my industry, I probably wouldn't have made them as much. What do, you, why do, what do you think is the biggest difference between corporate America and say what you and I do, which is, I guess, less corporate? I'm sure we're both incorporated in some kind of way, but, you know, we're not these stuffy giant corporations per se. Like, what, 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 why why is one so willing to talk like you and I are today and the other one is not? I think it's uh, perceived, um, perceived um, competition, uh, perceived uh, threats. So if I were to go ask somebody in corporate America – who is in a different silo in the organization I was working in, you know, how do you better manage people? He might be thinking I'm coming after his job and I'm just trying to figure out how to run my organization better. And I think when you start talking to people, even again, a remodeler in my, I am part of uh, NARI here in Atlanta, which is mm -hmm. the North American remodeling industry. I'm on the board, talk to other remodelers. 
Sometimes we compete, sometimes we cooperate, but what you do is we share everything because there's so much to go around. And in our fields, especially, there are so many bad people doing this and bad companies not doing the right thing that wouldn't you rather have our all of our uh, industry lifted? I think people don't see that threat as much perceived in the entrepreneurial world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Chris, this has been fantastic. Thanks for sharing uh, your knowledge with us, your experiences with us. Um, and uh, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to maybe even pick up your book, where can people find and follow you? Yeah, so my book's on Amazon. It's called From the Zoo to the Wild, Your Guide to Entrepreneurial Freedom and Wealth. Um, I also have uh, a website uh, from Zoo to the Wild. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's Chris Lalamia. Um, I'm also the trusted toolbox. If you Google that, we're here in Atlanta, you'll be able to find me that way. Um, and you'll be able to interact with me. I'm pretty active on social media too. So look it out uh, for me on Instagram and Facebook. On Instagram, I'm the customer service dot freak. Uh, and I love posting stuff out there about that and keeping engaged with people that way. Awesome. Chris, we wish you nothing but success, especially during this downturn we just talked about and um, keep in touch. So uh, thanks for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I've gained another friend and ally. Absolutely.